This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. One week away. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Shane Told. I am back in Canada after a very, very successful U.S. and Canadian tour with my band Silverstein. I got to give a big, huge, massive thank you to everybody that came out. We, It was a big undertaking, this tour. We had to relearn our debut record. We played it from start to finish every night. We had the second set prepared of greatest hits. Oh, it was a whole thing. It was stressful at times, but we pulled it off and it was amazing. And it was our most successful headline tour to date, which is pretty amazing considering we've been a band for 18 years. So big shout out to everybody who came, who supported, who helped out. It was amazing. So I'm home for the holidays and all that means is I'm getting back to the grindstone with this podcast. And today, we have an amazing episode. Stephen Page, former lead singer of the Bare Naked Ladies, is on the show. And he came to me, which was pretty rad. I got a message from the publicist saying, Hey, Stephen's into your show. Would you have him? And I, I, I mean, I hit reply so fast on that email. Oh my God. I'm Canadian, and around these parts, Bare Naked Ladies are an institution. This is as legendary a band as you get, especially in the Toronto area. This is a band I have loved since I was a child. My sister had the demo tape. I talked to Steven about that. It's just awesome to be able to talk to a living Canadian icon. 
Not to downplay everything else they've done in the rest of the world because that is also incredible, but this was a really, really special one for me. And I want to thank Steven so much for taking the time to speak with me. Before we jump all up in that, I want to remind you guys, you can always get in touch with me. Feel free to send me an email. My email address is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read all my email. I respond to most of it. And uh, shout out to everybody that emailed me this week. I got a lot of emails. That's great. Uh, Also, we're on social media, Instagram. We're over 10K, which is nice. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Facebook's got stuff going on. Like us on Facebook. And also, just a little reminder, you know, we got a week until Christmas, maybe you're looking for a gift for your loved one, for a friend, for your brother, for your sister. Maybe they're a big music fan. Maybe they're kind of into the show. Maybe they're a big fan of this show. Well, you could give the gift that keeps on giving, and that is the gift of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. For as little as $6 a month, that gets you in to an amazing community of sinners from all over the world. We're on a Facebook group. We're chatting about just about everything. We're having incredible meetups. Just this morning, I met up with a bunch of people in Toronto, had breakfast with them. A bunch of fans of the show that came in for our Toronto shows. It's a beautiful thing. And of course, you get bonus episodes, access to that once a month. Question and answer sessions with me. I play some tunes. Not even to mention merchandise shipped to your house every three months. An online store you have access to. And of course, it is what helps me keep the lights on around here. So, feel free to check it out. It is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. They will not see this gift coming. And you know what? Hey, maybe you want to just buy yourself a little something nice, you know, because you've been a good boy or a good girl this year. I know you have. I know you have. So check it out. LeadsingerSyndrome.com slash all access. Speaking of the holiday season, we are still raising money, at least for one more week for CalFund.org. This is an organization that helps the victims of the California wildfires. Yes, you turn on the news. They're not talking about it. The fires are put out. They don't have any crazy footage they can put on TV anymore. That doesn't mean people's houses are coming back. People's jobs are coming back. It is a real problem out there in California where a lot of sinners are from, I know. So please, if you can this holiday season, donate what you can to help these people. We have perks. You will get something out of this. Donate to calfund.org. Send proof of your donation to sinnersforgood at gmail.com. That's S-Y-N-N-E-R-S, the number four, G-O-O-D at gmail.com. And a huge thank you to everybody who's donated so far. Next week, Christmas does fall on a Tuesday. December 25th is a Tuesday. But you know what? That's not going to stop me. We are going to have an all-new episode of the podcast. I know people are traveling, people are commuting on the holiday. I'll give you something new to listen to. So many podcasts take the week off, and I understand why. Not this one. We will be back next week with an episode. So, of course, 
Make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. And I will see you next week. Anyways, let's get down to business with the man. Here's my conversation with Stephen Page, formerly of the Bare Naked Ladies. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cut your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. You're saying get back together, come back and see me. Three days since the living room. I realized it's all my fault but couldn't tell you. Yesterday, you'd forgiven me. But it'll still be two days till I say I'm sorry. Hold it now and watch a hood wink. Does it make you stop thinking? How's it going? Hey man, how are you? Pretty good. That's good. Yeah, the, the um... The audio feature is a little a little better than the than you know we have to stare at each other the whole time we're uh, doing this oh, interview. I am so with you. I, you I, you obviously understand. I've had I've had interviewers insist on the video, and I, I'm always like, "Fuck, why? What's I, the point?" I know. I, I've all, they, actually doing this podcast. They have to watch me checking my mail at the same time too. Right, exactly. No, I I almost always do these podcasts over the phone. Sometimes yeah. I do them in person. In person's cool, you know, but um, but. I, I kind of like doing it over the phone. I can kind of like close my eyes and if I'm like ruffle around with like papers, like looking at my notes, like that's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. But I had one guy insist on doing a video one. Oh God. And during, would... and during it, he's like, I was like, you know, looking away, you know, just listen to what he was saying. And he's like, are you there, man? Are you listening? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, man. I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, <laughs> just listen to what you're saying. But I'm not uh, huge, I'm not huge on eye contact to begin with, so this is fine. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'm here with Stephen Page. Um, dude, it's so, so good to have you on the show. Um, a, a guy that has been in my life, an influence of mine for a very long time. In fact, my older sister uh, had your original Bare Naked Ladies sandwich tape. Awesome. And yeah, and I actually stole it from her. And now it's in my tape collection. And I just came across it just the other day when I was uh, doing some moving, some stuff out of my parents' house. So uh, uh, it's it's amazing just just how far you've come and what a career you've had just starting off of this, this little local band with a tape, you know, in Toronto. Yeah, totally. And that tape, you know, it was not intended to be uh, a commercial release. We did it. Because the tape that we had before, we recorded on a four-track cassette in yeah. my parents' basement. <laughs> and uh, we were starting to get a bigger audience. And, like One thing that had happened for us was CFMY Radio in Toronto had uh, had uh, they had this contest every year where they'd, they'd make a CD. And uh, you know some of that stuff would get played on the station and whatever else. And they, right. we, we submitted and they said... Uh, well, we're going to put you on as a bonus track. You didn't actually make it, but you'll be a bonus track. Um, but can you send us your your master of the song? And I didn't have the guts to tell them that they had the master, which was <laughs> mixed right off the four track. Yeah, yeah. So we, we went to a studio for the first time ever and like recorded Be My Oko Ono there and then sent them the DAT, this totally different recording of it, and tried to pretend it was the same thing that got us on the CD. <laughs> um, and then we went down to, uh, we were going to go to South by Southwest and, uh, I don't know if they still do it, but they had this, um, Canadian showcase there and any of those kinds of like Canadian music industry sponsored type things, we would never, like they would never accept us in. We were always, we were, you know, a novelty band, whatever, and, right. uh, flash in the pan, it was going to be dead soon and who cares and these guys are embarrassing and, uh. So we would just go, okay, well, we'll see you there. 
and went down anyway. And our plan always with those things was we would just go and like busk in front of the venue or whatever. And just that was like, there was something, it was kind of like both very punk of us uh, because we could, we wouldn't take no for an answer. And we yeah. knew that it would kind of embarrass them somehow. And, uh, and also just kind of our, our childish eagerness too. And uh, we went down there and one of the bands on the showcase um, couldn't get across the border. So they ran out onto the street and said, can you guys come in and do a set? So we ended up playing the showcase after all and, and had these tapes that we'd made up in one night. Like it was just, you know, the cheapest thing we could afford, which was 11 PM to 7 AM in a studio, Wellesley sound, I think. And then, uh, right. you know, used one reel of tape, which is why the last song is going to go at the end. <laughs> we just, we did the fight, the fight, the power cover simply because we had a minute left of tape. I know, man, we, no one talks about that on the show, but I'm old enough to remember that too. And I remember having to change songs or play songs faster so we could fit them on a tape. Because, That's right. Because you don't want to buy another two-inch tape because they were so expensive, you know, um, like a couple hundred bucks, I think. That's right. It was and like 200 bucks for that. Nobody could afford, you know, that. It was like it just <laughs> no one had money for that. Well, and the studios would always upcharge for the tape, too. So, like, you know, whatever, it was 200 bucks to buy it if you brought your own. If you used theirs, then right. it was like... 250 and yeah forget it we had you know we had our 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 four songs and they're like well we got a minute and a half of the tape let's just play this until until the tape runs out which is exactly what we did so like the whole thing was so amateur and was just done as this demo and you know the same five songs on both sides and when we got back from south by southwest we still had a bunch so we started selling them off the stage and then um Sam, the record man downtown, called and said, we're getting people asking for this tape. So I brought down 10 of them or whatever, and within a week, they called back and said, can you bring more? And it just kind of grew It grew from there and became like every record store in Toronto wanted it. And then I started, you know, every everywhere we went in Canada, I would call ahead to the record stores in town and say, hey, we're coming through to play at whatever, the Flamingo in Halifax. Do you want... Um, do you want to... Uh, 10 of these on consignment and it got so it got so much that we were selling so much of this thing that um we couldn't afford to do the duplication anymore and my dad who was a teacher you know um said well look i'll lend you the money to do it um but give me a cut he ended up working his ass off and built this whole indie distributor business for probably i'm gonna say 10 years that wow. he, was, he, he ended up distributing you know, after us, it was lowest of the low, and and yeah. but then like jazz labels and Caroline Records out of the U.S. and stuff it became a big deal. That is crazy. Yeah, and that you know that tape ended up going top ten in Canada and going gold. And it was like, you know, we were so in the middle of it that we didn't even really notice how crazy that was. Um, but the, you know, we were the only band like that at that time. I mean, the only other kind of indie quote unquote acts that had had any big success in Canada had been like there was the there's the whole world of Canadian indie record companies which are a whole other thing you know these kinds of these labels that either um, you know exist so that the major labels can take advantage of government funding or uh, you know or they they yes. just exist to kind of like rip off artists or whatever <laughs> but then the ones who were kind of doing it themselves was like Lorena McKennett and Cowboy Junkies and that yeah. was kind of 
it. And then, you know, through the, at least through the first half of the 90s, it became kind of commonplace for bands to do their first record themselves and cassette only sometimes and stuff. And that was a cool thing to be part of. Absolutely. Well, I, I remember, you know, seeing, you know, the Enid video on Much Music and thinking yeah. to myself, oh my God, this band, you know, they made it. You know, and, and that's literally because because I remembered you from the tape, and I loved those yeah. songs. And then the record Gordon, it came out, and some of those songs were on the from the tape were on the record and everything. And then it seemed like a little while went by until you actually made it. And you know, with your your break into the U.S., which yeah. you know a lot of people listen to this. Most I think it's like eighty percent of the people listen to this are in the U.S. Listen uh-huh. to this podcast. And a lot of them don't understand being a band from Canada has a lot of difficulties, um, especially I think you guys were signed in Canada too, you know, to break into the United States market, which it took you a few albums. For sure. We were actually, we were actually signed in the U.S. Oh, there you go. Then that's the reason. Yeah. And it's like there weren't a ton of Canadian bands that were signed in the U.S. And I think we watched a lot of bands who were ahead of us do well in Canada and kind of do nothing in the U S and we realized that it was like the Canadian majors. I mean, some of them had great people working at them at that point in the early nineties. It was, it was still a lot of old school, old white guys. Some of them were great. A lot of them were just kind of, you know, used car salesmen. You can argue it's still like that, but (laughs) yeah, exactly. But you know, what, what's, what I've noticed is people who were like, you know, on on the street level on those labels now who have kind of taken over the labels, a lot of them, like, they are music people. They may not be musicians, but they they know it and they like it and they get it. And we were lucky enough that we got signed by Seymour Stein at, at Sire Records, yeah. um, which was like, if there was one label I would have dreamed of being on, that was literally it. Like, all the records I grew up listening to, um, whether it was Talking Heads or... Uh, all the you know the British stuff that they signed like the like the Smiths or the Cure or Depeche yeah. Mode, yeah. Um, the Ramones. I mean, all these all these records that were like that was the label that was always spinning on my on my turntable. So to be signed by that guy was pretty awesome. What we didn't know at the time was that he was signing everybody in sight. <laughs> we thought we were pretty special, but, but Canada was our saving grace because we were doing well enough in Canada with those first two records that we would recoup before the next record even came out. Oh, yeah. And, like, I'm sure that everybody at the American label just thought, well, why are these guys still on this label? Like, why are they dropped? But because we were recouped, they had no reason to drop us. Right. And so we just kept going. And, and what happens, I think, with a lot of Canadian bands, happened to us especially, was, like, you do really well for a while, but it's a small market. Yes. And we get sick of our own... People, I think there are only a few bands that are really immune to that. Um, you know, the hip being the, the premier, yeah, yeah. like that. But, you know, in general, like you go through a city, like let's say you go through Calgary and you play, uh, the album comes out and you play a show at a theater and then you come back and play in the summer at the Calgary Stampede and then you play like at the university in the fall and then you put your next record out and nobody comes. And so by our third record, like our shows were dying. Yeah. We built and built it and built it. And we had to kind of by necessity start focusing more on the US. Right. Simply because right. you know, you can play Cleveland, Dayton, uh, Columbus, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, all you know, 
every single day a brand new market yeah with a brand new audience uh, and so we just built it kind of under the radar we like i think a lot of people in canada even though we'd had the hit with the old apartment in canada yeah, yeah. we still weren't we weren't where we once were um but in the meantime we were building up these audiences and by the time stunt with the with one week came out a lot of places like um michigan ohio chicago boston and stuff we were playing arenas and like radio stations hadn't taken notice but the fans had yeah that's amazing and so it seemed like this kind of like out of nowhere hit and of course canada being canada they had to play catch up um it wasn't <laughs> until the next record that they kind of like caught up again wow that's that's great i mean i mean what was going through your head at this point i mean like you know did you, i mean you never thought going from just being this band nobody would sign you you couldn't even get a showcase being a canadian band in texas you, yeah. you know like was this stuff very surprising for you guys um yeah i mean it was or did it you was, feel like you were you were kind of underrated oh we always thought we were underrated because I, I always thought every, you were too. i think i think every band has to feel that way i think like what gets you up out of out of bed or out of your bunk in the morning is feeling <laughs> yeah. like you have to prove something to right, somebody. Right. And it's a weird kind of, I don't know. It's like, I call it a psychosis, but it's a kind of, this kind of like blind arrogance. You kind of have to have at, at the same time, you've got to be completely like, we're the best band in the world right now. And nobody knows it. Yeah. Um, but you also have to not be an asshole. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. That's right. We watch so many other bands be assholes to other bands or to their crew or the record people. And, they disappear, and we always felt like, and we, we, you know, we were really lucky. We had crew guys, tour manager, and and uh, our front of house sound guy, especially uh, with guitar techs and stuff too, who just like who wouldn't accept that from us. And they taught us really early on how to be decent human beings. You know, we were kids. We started yeah. the band when we were eighteen. So like growing up, all those things that you learn to do. Um, and you're isolated, you know, you're away from home yeah. and you're this kind of cultish team on the road. It's really good to have that kind of grounding. I'm really grateful to those guys Absolutely. for letting us keep our reputation. And it's an era too where, you know, nowadays bands go on tour and everyone's got their phone. Everyone knows what everyone's saying about them. Every, right. you know, everyone's so connected where yeah. going on tour in the early 90s, um, there's nothing like that. There's not even really the internet yet. So That's you're true. just, you're just to your, your own devices with each other. Um, and your own kind of interpretation of sort of what you think people think there's no, you know, there's no direct to fan interaction except what you maybe see at the shows or someone literally writes you a letter, you know, it, it's just completely different. Yeah. I and mean, that's, uh, that's it. Like, so we were always, you know, conscious of, of, meeting people, recognizing people who came to multiple shows, that kind of thing. And, and like remembering every town we went to. And that was always kind of my right. strong point too, was like, they always used to call me facts because I did in town and yeah. open the alternative weekly. And, and, you know, part of it was like seeing if there was anything about us in it, but it was also like, see what the hell's going on in this city and, and find what makes each town, unique you know every every town in america kind of like can, can very easily feel like they're all the same 
but they're not. And no. usually what I found is, is like people in those towns don't necessarily realize what, like what little things make them different from other towns. And, you know, it could very easily turn into pandering if you weren't careful you, to talk about that stuff on stage or whatever. But to celebrate it and do it in a kind of a, you know, a funny and uh, unique way always kind of made us, I guess it endeared us to the audience. And that's the thing I learned from, I remember as a kid going to see Billy Bragg. Um, I saw him a, a bunch of times as a kid and then we got to tour with him something and so on later. But early on watching him and watching how he, like he'd come to Toronto and he'd know everything that was going on with politics right, right. and with, you know, uh, bands in town and history and stuff. And he always felt like you felt special in the audience. And, I realized he did that everywhere because he's that engaged and that interested. And that was one of those you know, moments as a 15 year old watching him where I went, that's what I want to do. That's the thing I want to yeah, do. Yeah. My life. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's funny, you know, cause, cause I, I'm, I was a front man of a band too. Yeah. I never think about what I'm going to say on stage before. No, I, get I don't want to think about it. No, I don't no, 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 absolutely not. And, but it's true. Just, just being paying attention to whatever's like. I'm sitting in Chicago right now. I'm downtown Chicago. You know, I'm here on a day off. We're playing at the House of Blues tomorrow. Nice. You know, so, so I'm gonna see what's going on in the city. I'm gonna be out and about today. I'm gonna kind of get the climate, and I'm gonna get on stage. And some of that's gonna come out. And exactly. I don't. And it's gonna be natural. You know, it's, yeah. it's just gonna be what it is. So for you, it's the same way. I guess it's just it comes out naturally. There's no. There's no, okay, I need to make sure I bring up this because this is important in the city right now. It's no, just, and that always, like, even now, it still feels weird to me. Like, yeah. I remember um, when we played in Portland, Maine, it was like, it was the week of the Kavanaugh hearings. And oh, so yeah. their, their senator, Susan Collins, was one of the important votes. Um, yeah. And her office was right down the street from the gig. And I remember thinking, I want to say something about this. I, I don't want to be preachy or superior but it is it's important to me i live in the u.s now and yeah. i don't have a vote i'm canadian i um but i felt like you go you go to a place like that that always feels kind of powerless especially when they you know they have only i think three representatives and so on it's kind of a it's whatever one of those places that feels like a flyover place and i said to the audience you know this is one chance you have to make a difference in the morning, give your senator a call. And, you know, one lady in the front got mad, um, which was, as I said to her, I said, if you don't know me by now, then <laughs> you're in the wrong place. I'm not playing the enormous down, down the street anymore. I'm, you know, you had to find your way here to find this show. And, you know, if you don't like me talking about this, just go. <laughs> I'm not, I'm done trying to please everybody. Right. But, as I was getting gearing up to say it, I, I felt myself get nervous, not because of what the response was going to be, but because I really wanted to make sure that it still fit with the show, that it still fit with like that it wasn't something I was inserting in or shoehorning in in order to make it somehow like or somehow make me look more engaged than I am or right. show something off. I just wanted to communicate with an audience that I connected with. Um, but it's not the kind of thing I normally do. Usually it, it just happens. Like, um, the, the BNL live album, Rock Spectac, at one point there's a, there's, Ed tells a story about a woman stopping him on the street and then yelling at him when he didn't know directions to a place. <laughs> and that's just, that's actually in Chicago. 
Oh yeah. And that was, yeah. um, that was literally just what happened to him that day walking around. And usually what would happen with us then and still happens in my shows now is, you know, that becomes a jumping off point. You tell a story and you can embellish it or you can write a song around it or whatever else. But it could be, you know, the story could just be about how your tuner panel's not working too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the struggle is real with that, my friend. Yeah. I hate those polytunes. Uh, if I ever oh, they, they, oh, those they things, just, like the, they don't work. They don't, they, they, strop, they the just don't work. work. I know. Yeah. They just don't work. Oh my God. Give me that boss TU2 any day, man. That's I've got the TU3, which has like bright blue lights, and I hate it. Yeah. I want my, my, old, my old white one back. That's right. You got to go with the TU, exactly, yeah. the TU2. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned you're you're done with trying to please everybody, and I don't know how exactly the Bare Naked Ladies had such a wholesome reputation. You were kind of known as a safe band, a band sure. maybe that was going to tidy up a dressing room instead of trashing it. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't really know exactly how that came about, and maybe it's just the, the quirkiness of your music, but I mean... You guys have been, you know, embroiled in different sorts of controversy, everything from early on being, you know, with your name, being banned from playing Nathan Phillips Square to all the other things over the years. And here you are now I'm talking to you in 2018 and you're putting out a record that literally has an F-bomb in the title. That's right. It's true. So there's been some ups and downs here. And now, I guess, is that just getting older? Is that getting more confident? comfortable in your own skin what is that i think comfortable in my own skin is probably mostly the truth like uh, you know there was a point when we were you know when radio meant something to us so obviously you, you know you don't want to piss those people off um yeah and you want you know you like i was saying you want to have a good reputation you want to treat people with respect so when it comes to trashing the dressing room knowing that somebody <laughs> else has to clean that up sure then you think well Maybe we should put that away, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, we were also, you know, I, I think, you know, there's sometimes you'd have somebody else like a manager saying, look, you can't say that on a, on a record. And we'd say, well, look, it's not, uh, it's not going to be the single anyways, or we'll do an edit. And then they'll say, well, but what about the Christian record store market or whatever, which would be like, who cares? (laughs) But, you know, so if we, you know, the fact that you have to, if you have to um, defend something, whether it's something you say politically or it's language or it's behavior, then you kind of have to believe in it. Um, uh, but I think, you know, we were, we were a band and we were a band on the road and, and it was five different personalities. So, you know, yeah. some, you know, some guys in the band didn't drink at all. Some of us drank a lot. Some of us drink less now. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's you, you change as you, as you go and you find different, ways of coping or different ways of socializing, whatever else on the road. Um, but I think as far as the clean part goes too, like I listen back, <clears throat> sometimes I'll have, like I have, we used to sell or even give away all of our live shows. We would have a guy recording all the shows and they could get it on a USB stick like that night cool. as you walk through. Um, so some of that stuff shows up on my iTunes shuffle. And uh, not that I have an iTunes shuffle, but I'm shuffle mode. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're uh, saying. <laughs> It's vintage. I'm really into vintage gear. Um, but, uh, you know, as you know, we come up and be one of our in between song bits of banter and we'd be playing in front of 15,000 people and it would be so foul 
It was like a Richard Pryor record. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like where we fully got that. I think it was just because we we were fun and we honestly had fun. And a lot of the songs had, you know, you could kind of listen to them however way you wanted to. But we never pulled punches on stage. We were always ourselves. And I think once we were comfortable with each other, because we were also aware of the fact that one guy speaks, he kind of speaks for the whole band. Yeah. And uh, you got to be, you know, if you want to keep a band together, the last thing you can, should do is like shoot off your mouth about something that you know somebody else in the band would disagree with. Right, so right. Sometimes you kind of have to have this kind of unity that way. But basically it was just about, it was never a conscious thing that we ever went, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, clean and family friendly. I mean, we did do a kid's record, but that was simply because we all had little kids at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, earlier this year, you guys reunited for mm-hmm. Canadian Music Hall of Fame and uh, a part of the Juno thing, whatever it was. <sighs> did you have a lot of anxiety about that going in? It had, it's been a long time. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been in the same room as all four of those other guys since the day we split in 2009. Um, you know, you split with the band you've been in for 20 years and like my entire adult life yep. was as the guy from Bare Naked Ladies. And then all of a sudden I'm not that anymore. Um, it was, it, you know, I, I would, the year before that or two years before that I split from my first wife and I've, it really was so much like that divorce where you right. try your hardest to be civil and going into it. You're like, Hey, no hard feelings. I love you guys and whatever. And then over time, it's just like all the resentments that were bubbling under just kind of come to the surface inside. And you kind of have to figure out how to stay, stay classy, San Diego. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and not like drag anybody down, including yourself. Um, so right. I think we, we all wrestled with that stuff. And when they asked us to come and do the Junos, I don't, I can't speak for those guys. I don't know what their discussions were like, but I can only assume that they wrestled with it. My instant reaction was, yes, sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gunning for my old job back, but I'm past that, and I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. And I think it took me some time to get happy doing what I'm doing, but now it's like, well, I like this, and I like, you know, I, I, I've never been quite so kind of creatively and personally satisfied as I yeah. am now. So let's bring that good feeling. And also, you know, I've, I've also learn to really be proud of what we did together. And, you know, now when I hear one of our songs on the radio or whatever else, I actually am proud of it for the most part. And like, think about all the funny stories that go with it. And I don't, I didn't know if those guys were there or not when it came to me, but I knew from my perspective, I was willing to walk in with, with all the positivity possible. But, you know, standing, I was waiting in the rehearsal room, waiting for them to come in and, thinking, well, I know where I'm at, but I don't know where they're at. So, like, you know, the first thing I did was give them all hugs, but I didn't know whether, like, I'd get the cold shoulder, right. kind of like, yeah. this is all business or not. But pretty quickly, it got back to, you know, all those jokes, which was nice. <laughs> and, and how's it been since? I mean, it, it hasn't been that long yet, but it's been enough time. You know, has there been communication back and forth? I know you, you said in another interview that Tyler sent you a note about your song white noise and um 
you know, has there been some communication? Yeah, bits and pieces. Like, you know, we're not uh, hanging out and seeing each other socially or anything like that. But yeah, Tyler, um, he and I have exchanged emails and we've texted a couple times. And same thing with Ed. Even like I'll be on the road and I'll see something that reminds me of an old joke of ours and I'll text him that, which I probably would have been too afraid to have done before. Right. Uh, Yeah, so that's that's nice. And and Kevin I've kind of talked to on and off throughout the years. Um, So I think... You know, if we're in the same room again, it won't be nearly as uh, as uh, anxiety filled. No, absolutely. And and I've I've had bands on the show too that have been that had been split up, you know, for years and years and years. And that's the general consensus, I think. You know, I think that mm-hmm. over time, you remember the good things and you remember the amazing things you did together, and you can push away, you know some of the bad influences influences the bad um instances because yeah. because you know everyone makes mistakes you know sure and, and I you think grew that that's, I mean, you know you know there's yeah go ahead no you go ahead i was just going to say like i think all the like i have no idea what their lives have been like for the last 9 years right um almost 10 years like so i, I can't make any assumptions i know how much I've changed. Like I, you know, I look back at stuff like whatever, being a, a sulky 20 year old kid in the studio with them and thinking, God, I wish I hadn't have been like that, but I didn't know any different. And I was so, I had no confidence. So it's kind of my only way of like getting around, like getting through stuff or standing my ground with ideas or whatever else. And like, I'm so not like that anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that I'm able to, uh, bring that to the musicians that I work with now and be with musicians who are grown ups too. But like you can't expect your 18, 19, 20 year old self to always be a grown up. But part of me thinks, God, I wish, I wish I hadn't been like that. Um, you know, I think, I think it's pretty easy for people to look at the past and see themselves somehow as they are now and be angry because they're, defending you know defending their younger selves or defending their own honor or whatever else it is and it's not necessary because i think um we're uh, everybody changes and everybody has has trauma and uh and joyful things and transformations and so on musically and and personally that 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 you know i wouldn't know about and they wouldn't know about for me yeah wow well we won't hold our breath for uh Original lineup reunion, but uh, <laughs> yeah, stranger things have happened. I guess it's, it's absolutely possible, but I, I has not been discussed. Yes, yes, okay. So let's talk about um, the last two records you put out, and what I like about them is is you you know it's a part one and a part two, mm-hmm. and you you committed to the part two when you did the part one. Yeah, because in the title it says it's part one. Now yeah. <laughs> I always like love this, you know, because you know when Guns N' Roses put out "Use Your Illusion," you know, one and two, they came out on the same day. You know, it was a double record. Yeah, it wasn't like they came out years apart. I assume you didn't write and record them together. So what was going in? What was the the thinking there with uh, with the uh, what, what should we call the records? I guess we'll. Uh, the heal thyself. Heal thyself, uh, of course. Yeah, but what's what is the? I mean, there's a trilogy of three records. What do you call two? I still haven't figured that out. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know actually. <laughs> uh, 
Um, a du- duo. It doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't. Um, well, anyway, I, the, I originally had like over 20 songs that I was I had been working on. And some of those, because I, I, I started, I wrote a musical with uh, the Canadian playwright Daniel McIver that I've been, I mean, it's still being written because it's in cool. its probably seventh draft now. But um, I had all these songs and the, the musical started with a bunch of these songs that I took to Daniel and said, I feel like there's a, some kind of story arc here, but I don't know exactly what it is. And I don't think it's completely autobiographical. I think, you know, there are elements of that, but I think that there's more to the story than that. Um, so we started writing this, this musical, which hopefully fingers crossed will be at the Stratford festival. The next like two twenty twenty is what we're looking at now, but that can always change. Okay. But, uh, in the meantime, I had all these songs and I, I was trying to figure out how to put them out. Cause I thought like putting out a record with, I guess at that point it would have been over 20 songs on it would have been a lot to ask of an audience. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it would have been potentially, I, I don't know. I would see it as arrogant. I think um, there's a reason bands don't do that. I think it's a lot to, especially especially the way people are consuming music now, it's a lot to expect people to, uh, to consume all at once. Um, but, uh, at the same time, um, you know, I thought, well, what do I do? Do I divide this up into, into EPs, which was the thing? And I thought, like, that's not really how I think my audience listens to music. I think for kids, it's a different thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't, like what I was realizing in the shows that I was doing, like, you know, there's fans my age, I'm in my late forties, but there's fans older too. Like they come and they don't even know you have a record out. Right. Um, Right. And then they, they want to buy the CD as a, as a thing to take home of the, as a souvenir of the show, like, which kind of shocked me because (laughs) I'm, I'm such a music fan that for me, it's always about like when one of my favorite artists comes up with a new record. I get it that day and I consume it and I, you know, listen to it over and over again until I know every bit of it. And, you know, and then same thing with new artists. If I hear something or somebody recommends and it's like, I got to get that record um, or hear that new song. But I realize like people don't even know it. Sometimes people don't even know I'm not in bare naked ladies anymore. <laughs> and I can't judge that. It's like they, they have other things in their life more important than, following their favorite artists. So how do I get music to them? Okay, so divide it into two CDs. So that's kind of what I did. I kind of divide, divided the songs between these two records, thinking of what fit together the best. Um, put the first record out. And then, you know, the other thing is, the other selfish thing was, it's so easy now for a record to come out and disappear two weeks later. You get whatever press happens when the record comes out. Yep. You get a bit of a tour, and then it's totally. gone. Totally, totally. You know, what's one of the pluses of, of streaming now is it's not fully gone, but it's gone from the consciousness. The way we used to build exactly. albums over time is gone. Um, so I thought, I don't, do I want to waste all this stuff at once too? Um, but you know, I toured that for a year and a bit, almost two years. And then thought, okay, now I'm ready. I was out of my last record deal. Uh, and I thought, okay, now I'm ready to put out part two. Um, and kind of, you know, I, pretty well had it together, but I had to finish some overdubs and do some editing and send it off to get mixed. And as you start to open this stuff up, you go, well, this doesn't really fit anymore. 
right. I don't really like this, or I'm going to rewrite right. this part. And I also had um, a whole bunch of new songs that I was, of course, way more excited about. I hadn't really considered that, but you know, when you're when you've written new material, the last thing you want to do is focus on stuff that's you know three or four years old. Um, so it became a part two became a different record. It still deals with a lot of the same subjects. And I feel like it is a kind of a, a growth, like part one to me is kind of going, what is it to be an artist? Is it a cop out? Is it a way of like avoiding having a real job? Um, <laughs> yeah. Is it okay that I like this? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, isn't, isn't a job supposed to be awful? And then I think, well, but, but being an artist is awful. It's heartbreaking. It's painful. And no, and the worst part is nobody understands me. Uh, <laughs> um, so, that sense of kind of like self-mocking and also kind of exploring like, well, what is this? Is this, does this have any value anymore? Um, is it a, is it a service that I'm doing, which I'm fine. I'm happy to provide a service for people or is it like for me to express my inner feelings and thoughts? Is that just self-indulgence? Um, and what do you give up? when you choose a life of being, whether it's on the road or inside your own head, writing about things that might hurt people who you love and stuff too. Well, yeah. Uh, what, okay. Sure. You know, what is, you know, using the fodder of your own life and your own mind uh, and your own uh, triumph and pain, what does that do to other people? Um, so those are kind of the main themes, and so whether that's your your parents or your children or your or your your, your partner um, or other musicians, um, and that was kind of the themes of the first record. And the second record says, okay, look, let's assume now that I'm we're cool with art as a as a as a thing that it really you know we can call music rock music art without. Mm-hmm. Uh, Without blushing at the pretentiousness <laughs> of the phrase, yes, and like let's let, let's embrace it. Um, but then, what do I do with it? Um, do I do do I use it to explore my feelings? Do I use it to explore um, relationships? Do I use it to um, talk about political things? And I feel like right now, um, I mean, it's changing in the last six months, I think, but in general, I think myself included, I was a very active, uh, politically active person for a long time, Yeah, especially living in Canada. But there seems to be this sense that like, oh, you don't want to say that because the audience for music has shrunk and the uh, United States is so divided. You know, it's really like 50-50. Do you want to lose 50% of your audience if they, know, if they find out who you really are or what you mm. really believe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think it's you know it's a very valid concern. You know what? Nobody says fun. that though, Stephen. Like you're the first, only really the only person that's admitting to saying that. You know, people well, don't people don't want to pick a side because you're right. It is it is a divided. You know, I I mean I don't think in the let's let's call it art again in that world it's it's quite so so fifty fifty. But but you're right. I mean you do make a good point. Just like the woman getting mad at you in Portland, Maine. Well, and you think about like, you know, especially in the world of social media, where you you, you get so easy to get attacked by people who don't even care about your music. They don't even, they may not even listen to music. They just want to attack people because yeah. that's yep. what they do. And that's the, you know, it's, it's so common. We all experience it that I just 
for several years just kind of stayed off social media. All I would do was like announce ticket on sales and right. records coming out. Where when I first got on there, it was all for me about like jokes and joking with my friends, uh, <laughs> um, maybe interacting with other public figures that I that I didn't even know, but it was a chance to kind of like level the playing field and you know, maybe end up making striking up friendships with, with which I did with some people, or sometimes it's interacting with fans. Yep. Um, and I just thought, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, as the guy who used to read everything about our band and about myself in every paper, um, I stopped, I, I actually did, was able to stop reading the comments and, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and say, you know, when I'm, when I'm really feeling the desire to self harm, I'll, I'll search, my name. I'll search my name on on Twitter, but I don't go as far as the YouTube go. comments. I stay away from the YouTube ones, but uh, <laughs> but the Twitter ones, I'll look up and say, you know, it'll be like, you know, it's always it's always something like, well, you know, hookers and blow for Stephen Page or something like that, like you know, whatever. And I go, okay, good, yeah, it's still there, okay, fine, <laughs> uh, hurt me, talk, yeah, hit me, um, yes. Uh, but you know, in the meantime, I thought like, is that, I don't owe it to anybody else to expose my inner life or my private life or anything else, but maybe I owe it to myself to be, to express what I'm upset about or what I yeah. have ideas about. And, you know, you know, my audience has shrunk, but they're, but they really, and what I found, especially on this last tour, I just did. I think people really just want to. I'm I'm very lucky. They want to hear the old stuff when I come and play, but they, you know, you always see you know older artists when you go see them, they joke about. Well, now it's the thing you're really here for. It's the the new stuff, and everybody laughs kind of embarrassedly, and that's it. Um, but I feel like like when I would say that, people would go, "Don't say that. We actually do want to hear it, right? Um, right? Because they feel like it's actually like they want to catch up with an old friend. So. It would be disingenuous of me to not sing about, you know, politics or spirituality or, you know, the same way I, I, I sing about getting older or being a parent or being a, uh, a husband or whatever else. Like, it's all part of me, so why not? Um, and honestly, like, I can't, I can't imagine at this point going, saying, okay, well, I'll keep quiet about this if it means I get such and such a gig. Like I just I wouldn't care about yeah. the king. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean, good for you, man. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I really appreciate the the talk, the, the your honesty with all this stuff uh, as well. Um, Thank you. So you got a lot of stuff coming up. You got some some tour dates and um, across across Canada for the most part. But one yeah. thing I thought that was really interesting is you're actually going to be playing with a symphony. Is that right? Yeah, I'm doing four shows uh, in Eastern Canada, uh, Moncton, Fredericton, St. John, New Brunswick, and Halifax uh, with Symphony New Brunswick. Um, so it'll be myself. It's the Stephen Page Trio, which is me, um, Craig Northey from the band The Odds. Yeah. You know, you know The Odds? I remember Odds, so, yeah. Yeah. So Craig, Craig is... Uh, he co-produced in, uh, these last two records with me, and The Odds actually play on a lot of both records and uh, he co-wrote a bunch of stuff with me and then Kevin Fox on cello. Um, cool. And we've just, we've been doing this for about two and a half years as a trio and like really love it. It's really, 
uh, I look forward to every gig with those guys. Um, so it'll be the three of us and Symphony New Brunswick. And the symphony's going to be conducted by Andy Cregan, formerly right. of Bare Naked Ladies. So right. that'll be a cool little reunion. I love that. And then we've got, uh, yeah, Canadian tour is the whole month of May. And uh, we're working on more U.S. dates. We just did a bunch, like 36, I think, U.S. dates. Uh, this just finishing last week. Um, but there's parts of the U.S. we still haven't gotten to, like the Southeast, and we didn't get Michigan, and we didn't get a few places. So we'll get there. We'll get there this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to that. And uh, I don't I don't know if I have anything else for you, Steven. Right. Anything else to add? Mm, I don't think so. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm. I'm happy you invited me to be on the on the podcast. I've listened to a bunch of episodes. So awesome, man. Well, yeah, couldn't couldn't be happy to have you. And uh, maybe when you have a, another record out, or you want to talk about politics again mm. in a couple of years, let me know. We'll do it again. Thank you. I feel like I dominated this. So you know, next time we can make it a little more even. No, 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 no. It was perfect. People hear me, my bullshit every week. They they want to hear you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Take care, man. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. So there it is with Stephen. What a great conversation. Thank you, Stephen Page, so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's very cool that he's a fan of the show. I love that so much. And really was just great to get his insight on what it used to be like, what it's like now, the differences, everything going on with his solo stuff, with his relationship with the Bare Naked Ladies. It's all super, super awesome. And on a personal note, for me, that was big. You know, people always ask me, who's your dream guest or who's been, you know, the favorite person you've interviewed? And Stephen Page is right there at the top of my list. So this was really, 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 really awesome for me as well. Like I said in the intro, we will be back next week on December 25th. So if you're traveling, tune in, check it out. Not sure which one I'm going to roll out. You know, there's always a couple options I have, which is why I don't spill the beans. And I like to be giving a little bit of a surprise to you guys. Anyway, hey, check out calfund.org if you've got any spare Christmas money left and you want to do some good. Also, check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club because it makes a great gift Not just for a loved one, but also for me. Anyway, hey, thank you so much. Now, this is a tough one. I always play music at the end of the show, and I have to play something classic by the Bare Naked Ladies. So I'm going to go back to that demo tape with that sandwich on it, that yellow sandwich, which I will find and post a picture of my tape. I'm going with an amazing song. Here's Brian Wilson by Bare Naked Ladies on Lee Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. Happy holidays. We'll see you next time. Drove downtown in the rain 9.30 on a Tuesday night Just to check out the late night Record shop Call it impulsive Call it compulsive Call it insane When I'm surrounded I just can't It's a matter of instinct It's a matter of conditioning It's a matter of fact You can call me Pavlov's dog Ring a bell and I'll salivate 
How'd you like that? Dr. Landy, tell me you're not just a pedagogue Cause right now I'm lying in bed Just like Brian Wilson did Well, I'm, I'm lying in bed Just like Brian Wilson did So I'm lying here Just staring at the ceiling tiles
Hey, yeah, you still there? Yeah. So I know you might have slacked off a little bit. You might have left it to the last minute. You might need something quick. Hey, head over to rockabilia.com. They got over half a million awesome band merch items, all officially licensed from the artists at the lowest prices. You know you want it. You know your loved ones want it. So go over there, get a sick Christmas deal. Rockabilia.com and use promo code PCJabberJaw and save 15% off your entire order right now. Do it now. Do it now. They got fast shipping, but do it now. Do not delay. They got all your holiday needs covered.